You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology. In Episode 4, Numerical's distinguished member of the technical staff, Pierce Gorman, is joined by Numerical's VP of Engineering for Voice, Brett Nemeroff, to discuss the intricacies of third-party call signing, specifically the sixth report and further notice of proposed rulemaking by the FCC regarding caller ID authentication services. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we bring truth and shed light across the brand identity and communications industry. I'm Pierce Gorman, distinguished member of Numerical's technical staff, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Brett Nemeroff, Numerical's Vice President of Engineering for Voice. Brett has close to 25 years of experience developing, delivering, and operating voice solutions with experience as both a service provider and a customer of service providers. Welcome to the podcast, Brett. Thanks, Pierce. I'm excited to be here. Well, it should be a good show. We're going to discuss the sixth report and order and further notice of proposed rulemaking. And we're going to put, uh, Brett, if you wouldn't mind, drop that uh, link into the chat so people can go download it and read it in all its wonderful glory on their own if they'd like. Um, I'll mention that we also uh, filed a set of comments with the FCC on this proposed rulemaking. And those should be, I don't know if they're already available, I assume they are, but anyway, we did file. If we say anything here that doesn't sound quite like what we said there and there's conflicts, just let us know. Uh, hopefully that won't be the case. We'll, we'll see. Now, to kind of give people some background on you know, the way the FCC writes these things is they present you some thoughts about, okay, here's what we're dealing with, here's the questions and problems that we have, and we want to ask you some questions and get your feedback. So to warm the audience up, I'm just going to read paragraph 97 from that further notice of proposed rulemaking to let you know what it was that they, they were asking about. So they said, the record before us is not sufficient for us to understand the full scope of the various arrangements that exist between providers and third parties that authenticate their calls. Nor does it allow us to determine whether these third-party arrangements satisfy the requirements of the Commission's authentication rules, how and what information is shared within those arrangements, whether that information sharing implicates privacy, security, or other legal concerns, and whether they have a net positive or negative effect on the reliability of the stir-shaken framework and its objective to curtail illegal spoofing. And I'm going to just cue that up right there, Brett. Um, I think that's, you know, a good thing for them to share that here's the stuff that we really want to know about. But they ended with the curtail of illegal spoofing, which caught my attention. Did it catch your attention? Yeah, that always uh, kind of irks me when I see that uh, that phrase. And I see them use that uh, frequently. Like most people, when you ask them, you know, what's the purpose of uh, stir shaking? A lot of people will out there out there will say that it's uh, to prevent spoofing. And, and the reality is, is it just it just doesn't address spoofing. Um, what it does do, and it does very well, is uh, is it gives a pointer for enforcement uh, because of the way that the certificates uh, work. Uh, it gives a, a a positive way where a terminating service provider can find out. Uh, where a came, call came from. But because you can put anything into a passport, it really doesn't do much to prevent people from doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. Yeah, and I agree with that. And one of the things that I've um, you know, tried to remind people about is, well, spoofing isn't illegal to begin with. Right. And there are plenty of legitimate uses for um, spoofing. The one that used to be rolled out pretty frequently was when a doctor calls uh, a patient 
a lot of times the telephone number associated with that call will be the um, receptionist number at the clinic, not the actual doctor's originating um, phone. And that's a pretty trivial example, but it is a legitimate example of you know spoofing that wasn't illegal. Right. The, the other point there is, is, and this is what I think you were hitting on, Brett, which is when the call is originated and it gets to the, the service provider, they may not have the information to know uh, they may not have the information, depending upon, you know, there's a lot that could be said about this point, but I'll just say it might be difficult for them to know whether or not that number belonged there. And uh, so the, you know, the fact that the call is signed, that the, that the FCC Enforcement Bureau could go to that, that signing service provider uh, and, and talk to them about problems with, with illegal calls that were using spoofed numbers, that's what the real purpose of Store Shaken is, to give that, as you pointed out, the identity of the signer so that you can talk to them about problems that you might see in the in the spoofing of the number. But the spoofing happens before it gets to the service provider, before the authentication occurs, so it doesn't prevent spoofing. Spoofing is not illegal. It's just a, a place for enforcement uh, to go if there's a if there's a problem. Right, and Pierce, to, to elaborate on that too, I, I would say, though, that, that enforcement does help with spoofing. It does help el- eliminate spoofing. So anything that we can do that, that helps the process of, of performing effective enforcement will help to eliminate some of the spoofing. Yeah, I agree. And that, that you know, in the, in the technical circles where we were developing the protocol, that's exactly what we were, you know, that's, that is what we had, we had counted on, was that the Enforcement Bureau would have stir shaken as a tool to identify the bad callers and be able to go talk to the service providers serving those bad callers. Um, okay, so uh, for folks who haven't read through these things before, they're broken up into numbered paragraphs. So we're going to move on to the, the next set of um, questions that they had. Now, uh, we started with, and I'll, I'll just say we kind of cherry-picked questions. There were questions that were for, like, lawyers that, you know, were not, were not suited to answer, so we skipped over those. Um, there were some that asked for data that we don't necessarily have uh, and didn't respond to in the in the comments that we sent to the FCC. We won't talk about them here either. Um, this one from paragraph 98: Are originating or other providers entering into agreements with third parties to perform their authentication obligations under the Commission's rules and the ADIS technical standards? And the you know short answer is third party signing uh, does exist. And then they went further about who are these third parties. Right? Yeah. You want to? comment on that? Yeah, and what I would say about who are these third parties is, is, in my opinion, I don't think it matters who the third parties are, as long as the individual service providers are meeting the expectations of, of what the commission has set forth as, as their obligations. It should really be an internal decision of how a service provider um, uh, performs their obligations. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, your, your point is it's an internal business practice, mm-hmm. and the important point is, is that the calls get signed by or on behalf of the service provider who has the direct authenticated relationship with the communicating end entity, and the attestation is assigned accordingly. Right. Okay, so the, the next question um, in that paragraph was, how does any agreement between the provider and the third party purport to assign responsibility for compliance with the commission's authentication rules and the ADA standards. And, you know, I, here I, I do the caveat. I'm the lawyer, but uh, my opinion is the third-party signing service provider should ensure, now this is the signing service provider, the guy who's actually creating the identity header and making it available to be put into the SIP invite and sent out 
to the terminating service provider. You know, my opinion is if I was the third party signing provider, I would tell the communicating service provider that was hiring me to build those identity headers for them that they're responsible for compliance with the commission's rules and staying within the ADIS standards. The, you know, the attestation that would need to be there has to come from them and the certificate that's used to verify that signature also has to be their signature and it has to be their private key that they obtained uh, that they created when they got the certificate. So. Yeah, I think uh, I totally agree with all that. I think in a, in a proper, proper relationship with a, with a third-party signer, uh, the service provider always retains all of the responsibility and obligations uh, that the commission gave to them. And I think that's a really important point on what is a, a proper uh, third-party relationship. And, and I know we'll, we'll cover this a little bit more uh, uh, in a little bit here in a minute, but uh, service providers can't give up their obligations by handing it over uh, to a third-party company. Uh, that's really important. So the service provider, even though they may be using another company to perform the signing activity, uh, they're still responsible for all of the uh, responsibilities and obligations that the commission gave them. Yep, fully agree. And like you said, we're going to get into this a little bit more about, well, what does third-party signing really mean? What is the third party? What's okay? What's not okay? Um, the next question was, are there third parties marketing caller ID authentication services for originating and other providers? And I, I thought this was a, an interesting question that they that they even asked it, right? Because I think that it's, you know, the answer is manifestly yes. Um, so if we were to detail the, the different types of third party authentication arrangements, um, how would you how would you describe it, Brett? Yeah, so the, the two ones that we're seeing really are um, third-party signing with a third-party certificate. Uh, and, and this really should not be uh, allowed. This is a third party that's using their own certificate. Uh, and it shouldn't be allowed because it subverts the ability to perform enforcement. And that's really what the intent here is to be able to provide enforcement. And you'll hear us say this kind of over and over again. Uh, the certificate gives you a mechanism to reach out and wring someone's neck or pull someone's plug or, or, or whatever that is. When you have a third-party company performing the signing and using their own certificate rather than the service provider's certificate, specifically the originating service provider's certificate, what ends up happening when enforcement happens is they reach out to that third-party company. That third-party company isn't actually making the phone calls. They're only signing the calls. And so if they were to try to do anything to affect that traffic or to remove that traffic or to perform any kind of enforcement action, um, the only thing that they would really be able to do is to stop signing the calls. They wouldn't be able to pull the plug or make adjustments to the traffic or do anything. So the other way that we see it, and this, this is a way that absolutely should be uh, allowed and addressed, is a third-party signing agent with a first-party certificate. So in other words, having a third-party signing agent, someone who signs it with the certificate of the originating service provider. And in this particular model, doing it that way, when enforcement happens, the enforcement goes to the originating service provider. It's really, really important when we talk about that first party certificate. It's the certificate of the entity that has a direct authenticated relationship with the originator of that traffic, which means specifically performing a high level of KYC. And one of the things, uh, Pierce, that I've been kind of disappointed in is, is the lack of definition of KYC. And uh, as some of you guys may know, uh, we had produced uh, an ex parte 
uh, detailing model standards for KYC. And in some of that, we cover really what you need to do to be able to um, cover your bases and make sure you're doing this properly. Um, but those are the two methods that we typically see. And uh, certainly third party uh, signing with the certificate of the originating service provider should be allowed. Yes, I agree. The, the only comment I'll make on, on what you were mentioning there at the beginning about um, the problem with third party signing with a third party certificate is that you're hiding mm -hmm. the yeah. identity of the first party you know, service provider. Um, that you know that's that's the problem with it is that if you use the identity of the information in the, the certificate you find the you know the signing service provider the intermediate service provider instead of the originating service provider and you, and you mentioned you can't really you know pull the plug or whatever I will say that the FCC would feel very confident saying that they can pull the plug on that intermediate provider if they weren't able to do you know trace back beyond that back to the originating service provider so you know <laughs> I well, they feel well, capable of, of uh, pulling plugs on people if they, if they know who they are. Well, Pierce, while, while I agree with you, that last point you said, I think, is really the kicker is as long as they know who they are, right? And before we had Stir Shaken, it was really, really difficult to find out where traffic came from. Uh, we would have to go hop by hop and, and, uh, and, and do a whole investigation that could involve dozens of service providers. And that's the whole point of Stir Shaken. Well... It's what I see as the point of Surshaken. It's what Surshaken actually does uh, quite a good job of, is identifying who was responsible for allowing this traffic to reach the PSTN. And so when we're talking about enforcement, it's a really great vehicle to reach out all the way across perhaps dozens of intermediate service providers and find an effective place to pull that plug. 100%. I used to call that automating trace back and that it fit perfect with the traced act you know, and the idea that you're trying to identify where these sources of, you know, the, you're trying to identify the sources of the illegal robocalls that you want to, you know, tamp down to stop, or at least, you know, decrease it to an amount where it's, you know, nowhere near where it is now. Uh, because I, you know, I don't know if we'll ever 100% completely eliminate all illegal robocalling uh, or any kind of illegal calling, but, uh, you know, we're going to keep working on this. We're going to make a difference. I'm pretty confident of it. The, um, Okay, so let me see. What's the next part here? So moving on to paragraph 99. The effect of being a third party, and I'll just mention everybody real quickly before I, I'll just back up and start over here. Um, there's paragraphs 97 through 106. We're going to do our best to come to go through these. Uh, if we don't make it all the way through in this show, if folks are interested in having either a follow-on show or if they want to see a blog or just want to ask us questions, you know, those are going to be options depending upon, you know, how well we do get through those. Um, so with paragraph 99, it says, the effect of being a third party on how signage attestation is performed. So um, to me, the, the question about attestation associated with third-party call signing is... Uh, a little bit of a red herring, right? Because the attestation is a, is a that is a complex subject. And as we were working through this, preparing for this show, uh, Brett and I said, you know, it, I think that that topic all by itself is worthy of its own um, Tuesday Talks presentation because it, it, it is complex. And, and because of that complexity, I don't think it helps to mix it in with talking about third-party signing. To me, third-party signing needs to be, are you signing 
with the certificate of the originating service provider who has that direct authenticated relationship with the communicating identity, right, the customer. And if you have those things, you've met the requirement in terms of signing and providing the identity of what we call the originating service provider. That's the key thing, right, is that you're getting the identity of the originating service provider. Now, are they applying the attestation correctly? There are guidelines, and there's also a standard that says that it's local policy. And I might be stepping on what Brett had to say. So I'll just stop there and say third-party signing should be considered outside of attestation. Just understand if you're okay with how third-party signing would be done. We say that third-party signing with third-party certificates is bad. Third-party signing with first-party certificates is good because then you get the identity of the originating service provider. Yeah, and when it comes to, like, level of attestation, like Pierce said, this is a hot topic. And I've also referred to it as one of the deadest horses in telecom because we keep talking about this over and over. But honestly, I feel like we need to keep having the conversation because I feel like when it comes to A, B, and C that people are still kind of confused on how those attestations are applied. So I'm going to touch on it. I'm not going to go on it too deep because, like I said, we could have a whole hour on attestation. But what I will say is that when it comes to third-party signers, just like what Pierce was saying, that a third-party signer needs to be using the certificate of the first-party service provider, the originating service provider, it's really everything that's happening is part of the requirement of the originating service provider. It's part of their responsibility. So when it comes to do I sign this call or not, do I sign it with an A, do I sign it with a B, or do I sign it with a C, that is entirely up to their business logic. So the third-party entity that's assisting with the software or the signage of itself is not actually part of the process applying business logic on how calls get signed. It is 100% the responsibility of the originating service provider deciding what gets signed, how it gets signed, and it has to use their certificate. It can't use somebody else's certificate. That way we know exactly who is responsible for that business logic. That being said, I mean, without getting into too much detail, because I saw that there was a question about this, and I don't know, Pierce, you may have some additional comments on this, but generally speaking, A and B attestations really, really require KYC and direct authenticated relationships. Like I said, we could have a whole discussion about that, but I don't know, Pierce, if you wanted to add anything on to that before we moved on. Let me see. Looking at the question from Harold Salters, you mean? Yes, sir. Some big third-party signers are providers of TNs. Yes, that's correct. So they can talk to the B aspect of attestation. Okay, that's fair. What do you think of that? Would you be okay with them doing Bs? If they provided the – okay, this is – okay. So, Harold, I'm so glad you asked the question. I'm not going to answer it, and I'll tell you why. Because the way that Brett and I decided that we needed to have a whole show just talking about attestation was trying to answer your question. And what started that question was looking at a chart that's in one of the Call Authentication Trust Anchor Working Group reports that talks about various ways that you might encode attestation based on four different inputs. Trying to think about how you could write code that you could then use to assign the proper attestation. 
And there are some gray areas in a few of those. And what you just asked would be what I would call one of the gray areas where you could argue about whether or not it was okay or wasn't okay. So I apologize for not giving you a complete answer, but I'll just say that it's a good question. Uh, thank you for submitting it. If you want to talk more offline, we can. But I would say that you're going to really love the detailed conversation that we'll have on that testation uh, later this year. So I think that's good enough. All right. So I think I wanted to say that, you know, when we talk about um, third-party signers, we didn't talk very much about, you know, who can be a third-party signer. And that is kind of, I think, things that the FCC was sort of peppering around is, like, who can be a third-party signer. And we talked some uh, offline preparing for the, the comments and for this about a trans, what we call a transit provider and an intermediate provider being also a signing service provider because that you know that does exist there are intermediate providers who provide signing services and obviously we've made it clear that we would think that the intermediate provider can sign on behalf of a originating service provider the service provider with the direct authenticated relationship with a communicating end entity customer but we feel like that has to be with that communicating uh, that that service provider of the communicating end entity it, it can't be the intermediate service providers um, certificate. The only time that the that a transit provider in the role of transit, um, what they should sign with is is C because they don't have the direct authenticated relationship and they and they don't have uh, information about the right to use the telephone number. Yeah, now we're digging into the station. We said we wouldn't. It sounds like you have a comment, so go ahead and bring it. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is that uh, this is something that I think that people frequently get wrong. And I'm hoping that in the next year or so, uh, companies start understanding a little bit better about what their rights and responsibilities are in this ecosystem. Um, and it's, it's hard to get it right. It's confusing. It's complicated. Uh, uh, these uh, report and orders can be uh, hundreds of pages long. And, uh, and a, lot of businesses, a lot of businesses that aren't – their primary business is not telecom – will find themselves being deemed service providers and needing to fulfill the responsibilities of the FCC. So, uh, I mean, I had been kind of thinking of like, you know, what, what's a litmus test to find out? Like, uh, are you doing it right? Or do you need to, to do something different? Now, the, the document that, that Pierce uh, was referring to goes into more detail than, than the thoughts that I have on the top of my head here. But, but generally what I'm thinking, and ATIS standards say that you need to have a direct authenticated relationship. Interestingly enough, the ADA standards also say that you do attestation by local policy. I'm not going to get into that a whole lot right now, but it's important to understand that there's already kind of like conf uh, uh, conflicting ideas there. Um, but uh, when it comes to a direct authenticated relationship, and I think that this was a great way that ADIS ended up saying this, is you need to think about it. When I think about a, an authenticated relationship, I think about a switch provider, a service provider that is authenticating individual calls either on a source IP base or maybe on a username password base. They have some authenticated way of knowing that th this particular call or these groups of calls are this specific customer. If you are that entity, that knows those customers. You should have a responsibility to do KYC on each individual one of those customers, and you should have a responsibility to sign those calls before you send them out. Now, just saying it like that puts a lot of people into a box of needing to do things that they probably aren't doing right now. So that's my litmus test. When you take a look at a transit provider, and a transit provider is maybe taking traffic from one of those entities, 
Does that transit provider, when they see call by call, can they tell it's customer A versus customer B versus customer C? They can't tell the difference between those individual customers. In that way, I see that transit provider is the only way that they can provide attestation is a C on that call with their certificate, right? And the whole point here is about what kind of metadata are you passing along with the, the call? What are you telling the terminating service provider about your level of confidence about the ownership of this number? I'm trying real hard not to get into the attestation discussion, so um, I'm, I'm going to leave it with that and let us move on to our next point. No, no, no. You did great. I'm glad you, you, you brought that up. It is one of the things that we talked about, uh, so you're not... Not, okay. not hurting a thing. Uh, and I was also going to add that I feel like you're channeling Sarah Delphi when you when you mention the KYC stuff and say it's really important, it's critical. I and I agree with you. Definitely foundation. <laughs> it is. It's 100% correct. Without that, you know, the protocols, don't, it's like we were talking about spoofing, right? The protocols do what the protocols do. But if you don't do something outside of those protocols to make sure that the information that's in, it's the old joke about garbage in, garbage out, right? So the KYC is critical. So I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned it. Where are we at here? We're up to paragraph 100. So I'm going to say we're probably not going to make it all the way through. So people will have to let us know whether they want to hear more about this uh, or comments on the uh, further notice of proposed rulemaking. Well, let's see here. Uh, let me see. Uh, continued discussion on how a third party changes information sharing and privacy concerns. Okay. This was the paragraph where the FCC asked about um, customer proprietary network information and privacy concerns and some other things, which uh, are good questions. But, you know, my feeling is, is uh, my, my joke I wrote for myself to say here is that CPNI is thin ice on top of quicksand. And so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel comfortable making any comments on it at this time because, you know, there, depending upon what you might say could cause a lot of problems for how things would get done. So you, it's, a, it's a subject that's worth thinking through before you say anything. And I haven't thought through it enough. We had a really good conversation offline. I think there was a, a better question, wasn't there, Brett? Yeah, yeah, a better question was, was later in the same paragraph. Um, and it was specifically, should any explicit authorization of third-party authentication practices be conditioned upon providers ensuring that third parties have the information needed to apply A or B level attestations consistent with ADA standards. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying a second ago is are the ADA standards consistent? Um, and uh, you know they, they do allow for both local policy and descriptive policy. I personally think that it should not be based on local policy. The descriptive policy is good. And it's, it, in fact, it should be more uh, descriptive if anything else. A direct authenticated relationship this means something from a technical perspective, and it's something that we can prove. It's something we can demonstrate, and it's something that we can automate in terms of the course of an actual call getting set up. And the other part of it, which is a little bit more sloppy, is harder to prove, is a provable right to use. And very frequently, we do these with LOAs, but doing this between you know carrier to carrier, doing LOAs, showing the right to use, is certainly something that we can do. In addition, and a whole other uh, podcast for us for the future is talking about additional ways to transmit uh, right-to-use information within the entire PSTN. Yeah, 100% agree. That that um, that leads back to, you know, the, the, the 
The requirement to know the provenance of the telephone number and the right to use the telephone number is a key input to what kind of attestation you're supposed to be able to provide if you follow the guidelines that are prescriptive as compared to saying it's a matter of local policy to the originating service provider. And to what um, Brett said about, you know, it, it can be very hard to know the provenance of the telephone number, uh, what's the source of the telephone number, do you have letters of authorization associated with the telephone number, is it practical to even try to obtain that information and manage it, um, do you maybe just fall back on, well, Fidelity is our customer and they're a big important customer, so everything we get we're just going to you know, provide them an A-level attestation. So we're kind of giving you teasers here, but there, there is an awful lot to unpack there in, in talking about attestation. So we'll leave that for the, for the next, uh, for that podcast. Okay, so um, let's see, I think we're on to paragraph 101. We're making progress and we only have a minute left. So uh, I think probably what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to not go over the rest. People will have to let us know what you think, how you feel, if you want to hear more, if you want to see a blog, you want to ask us questions. So, uh, so join us for our next live episode of Tuesday Talks on Tuesday, June 20th, when uh, I'll be joined, <laughs> I didn't even remember this, when I'll be joined by Numerical's Chief Product Officer, Anish Jaffer. Identity will once again be taking center stage on our mission to return trust to communications. So be sure to register to join us live. We hope to see you there. Thanks, Pierce. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks. Our next live episode will be in two weeks on Tuesday, June 20th, where identity once again proves to be the key to unlocking safer and more secure communications for all. Tune in live with Pierce Gorman, Distinguished Member of Numerical's Technical Staff, and Anise Jaffer, Numerical's Chief Product Officer, for the latest in telecom from our industry experts. Join us in our mission to promote transparency and collaboration to return trust to communications. Simply click the link to register and join us at the live show. Invite a friend and be sure to submit a question you'd like to have answered live. We hope to see you there.